laugh at this next part. In a world of political correctness and cancel culture, two comedians have risen up to prove that with the right angle, anything can be funny. This is You Can't Laugh at That. Who writes these? Huh? We should have this person locked up and looked at. Live from Golden Ox Studios in Cleveland, Ohio, it's Steve Mers and David Horning on this week's episode. Well, you just got to go up, go in hard and heavy, and just, just be like, hey, I'm a neo-Nazi, you know, like the guy in, in my experience. And no, I think, um, I mean, look, that was a good example, though, of a guy who actually from the beginning didn't even want to be like me. That was his only way to connect with human beings, though. You know what I mean? You know, very weird and, and uh, almost like, you know, pulling on a girl's pigtails when you're in kindergarten because you have a crush on her or something, right? Mm-hmm. It was just like the only way he could think of to establish some kind of intimacy with another person, right? Another uh, or, or break through a social barrier with another person. And that was his unfortunate way of doing it. But it did kind of work. Hey, this is David from You Can't Laugh at That. Hey, if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, and if you found value in any of the episodes, or if you've laughed even once, consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash you can't laugh pod. Now, these conversations we have with all these awesome comedians typically last about two hours. So there's so much footage we have to cut from every single episode, and we hate that we have to cut it, and we don't want it to disappear into the ether, which is why we edit it together into exclusive clips. Some episodes, they're 15 minutes, a half hour of extra footage. Other episodes, it's a little bit shorter. Either way, if you enjoy listening to You Can't Laugh at That, join our Patreon for exclusive access. And thanks for listening to our podcast and supporting comedy, because no matter how weird times get, remember that you can laugh at that. Welcome to You Can't Laugh at That, the podcast where we take topics you can't laugh at and we find ways to laugh at them in our never-ending quest to prove that anything can be funny. What's funny to you guys today? Anything, uh, any Twitter strokes of genius? I can do a gossip segment every week if you want. Yeah. (laughs) What's What's the gossip around town? What is AOC doing? Um... (laughs) Yeah, any any honestly any nothing's funny right now to me because okay. it ebbs and flows and um and I'm sad. So yeah. What about you, Pranav? Any uh there's nothing funny on Twitter, almost no. ever, you know. I don't think really. There's like cause it's just the same it's the same joke being replayed like eight hundred times. Before depending on your theme. Yeah, it's it's the same fucking $1,400 stimulus. I'm going to go to the dollar store and buy 1,400 stores. I'm like, fuck, shut up. You know? I don't know oh who needs God. to hear this, but I hate Twitter. It's the, it's, the, it's the worst of all the platforms. I mean, I know a lot of really good friends of mine who are very funny comics do great on there, and I love seeing their shit. 
but uh, generally speaking, no, it's it's the worst platform. Right. It's where hacks reign supreme and get away with it pretty well. Yeah, I mean, again, it's all just joke templates. You know what I yeah. mean? So it's it's pretty lame on Twitter. Um, and other than that, outside of that, it's just pure hatred, church, just pure visceral hatred for all of humanity on there. So yeah, yeah. what's yeah. even the point of Twitter? I, I we, we just summed it up. Yeah, there's there's no it doesn't add to society, and if you think that it does, then you're the problem, and that's <laughs> how every tweet goes. <laughs> um, joining us today from New York is Pranav Bihari, oh. our uh, our lovely guest. Thanks for joining the podcast today. I'm lovely. Hey. Yeah, you are lovely. My All adjective right. game is weak. Hey. I haven't left the house in like months, so. My adjective normalize calling out. brown male comedians lovely. That was my favorite tweet today. That was my Twitter. favorite tweet. Yeah, speaking of Twitter, also a callback. So, yes, very recent callback, but still it counts. It does. We we switched the topic once you once you leave one topic and then you can call it back. It's a technically a callback. <laughs> That's the actual formula for that. That's it. Uh, Pranav is a former writer for Mad Magazine, co-host of the Mango Bay podcast, which you can find hey. where all podcasts are found. And I, YouTube. And YouTube, because they do yeah. it live, uh, which we live, don't. We, we, we heavily edit this episode. We're going to talk for an hour and a half, and the episode's going to be seven minutes long. Oh, shit. Nah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Pranav has also been featured at clubs and festivals around the country, including the Milwaukee Comedy Festival, Rogue Island, Cape Fear. Plans for diving back into the festival scene when uh, when the world opens back up? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I, I, I'm just trying to get a new tape because I've, I've got a lot of new material uh, from the last year, but it's tough, obviously, yeah. getting getting that shit on a, getting a good tape together. Cause all the shows are outdoors and all that. So, but yeah, yeah. I miss doing festivals. I miss, you know, hanging out in other scenes, meeting, meeting comics from all over the country. So yeah, I'm excited to, to get back into it. Yeah. Is, is, uh, what do you miss the most about, um, about doing live stuff? Is that it? Just like meeting people from about doing live comedy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's just, it's, you know, you get the audience, the energy, you know, it's just, it's a much different visceral experience, you mm-hmm. know? So it's, it's, yeah, I, uh, not, there's nothing like it. The, all the, all the recent live shows that I've been able to do, you know, especially when things were really sparse, but I remember maybe, maybe two months ago, I was hanging out with Hannah, Hannah Boo and a previous guest of yours, uh, and we both got booked on the same show and it was like January and it was freezing, but this guy did it in his backyard and he put up heat lamps and he put it up a tent and we were both just like, all right, fuck, let's go do a show. Let's, let's see how this goes. And it was insane because it was just like, they were hungry for it. We were hungry for it, doing new material, crushing amazing energy. And afterwards it felt like, it felt like we had done like an eight ball of Coke. Yeah, it was it was on it was unbelievable. It it felt it felt like pure drugs, and uh, it was it was incredible. So I want to get back to that feeling. I miss it so much, Um, and and that you know, doing that outside too in the cold, like that's that's a shared experience, and that amplifies the all the definitely the brain cocktail going on when you're out there doing it, and hundred percent, yeah, yeah. I don't know if there were Steve. Were there any outdoor shows here? Like during the winter, I don't 
remember. I pretty, I pretty much just been a recluse. Yeah. Last one I did was Jeremy's, but that was in the summer. That was August. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. It's been since November really for me. uh, I got on a stage. Ramon did a weekly one in Lorraine Mm -hmm. in a park. Yep. They say that uh, tragedy plus time equals comedy. How long, (laughs) how long for you personally, before you find something funny that um, shouldn't be funny? Like if something happens to you, how quickly are you on stage riffing on it? How quickly are you writing about it? Um, How much time do you Um, get to marinate? Well, I mean, on stage is one thing. I mean, just I think my general nature as a person is that that anything fucked up that happens, my mind immediately turns it into something funny just in my own head. It's just my way of processing, I think, the world like a lot of comedians. Uh, On stage, you know, it's tough. So I, I, it really depends on what it is, but I, I would, uh, I don't, I don't even, I think there is definitely a time thing, but I think there's also an approach thing that's probably more important. Mm. Depends on like what you want to do. If you want to be just like balls out, super insensitive about something, you should wait like a couple of years, right? But if you're talking about something that's just like kind of quirky, if it's more about you, if it's self-deprecating and it happens to be in the context of that horrible negative thing, then that's another thing. COVID is like a weird thing, right? Because COVID, I have a bunch of COVID jokes and it's a horrible, tragic, shitty thing, but it's something that we're all going through. So that's something I can easily make fun of and talk about because um, I'm going through it as much as anybody else is, I guess. Right. So I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the shelf life is like. Plus I'm not necessarily like always trying to go for the tragedy things. Right. Like I don't, I don't have like, it's not like that movie Nightcrawler where I've just got like the scanner where I'm <laughs> listening for tragedies. I'm like, there's a school shooting. Like, I don't know, let's try another one out. So when you can pull it off, right. When you can make something shitty, funny to everybody, the laugh is always that much bigger, that much deeper. And the connection because that much more kind of tangible between you and the audience. And it just makes for a way better time. Right. You're leaving a different, uh, much bigger impact on them. And yeah, the connection is just, was just way deeper. Mm-hmm. That's why it's been hard for me to do virtual stuff. But um, yeah, I always make sure people turn their cameras on. It's like, if I'm just looking at a name, it's like, what, what am I doing? Like, I'm just right. in a room alone. I might as well just record myself talking into my computer and yeah, go pretty back much. And take notes. Yeah. So no, I'm with you, man. I'm, uh, that's the best part. It's like doing awesome. crowd work with the Brady Bunch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what made you start doing comedy in the first place? People had always told me like, dude, you should do stand up. You should do stand. Cause you know, whatever. Like I was a class clown and I used to make my family laugh a lot when I was a little kid. And it's just always been a big part of my life is making people laugh. And I never really thought it was something I could do or whatever. And then, you know, I like, I started working at Mad Magazine for a while and I was like, I was like, okay, you're funny. Why don't you just get into this? And then one, a few years ago, I was like, going through a lot of different, different life changes at the time. I just had a big surgery and I was like, you know what? You got to go do something for yourself. You know, you got to go do something for yourself now do and, and just go fucking try it. Just try it at least once you can, see what it feels like and how it tasted. And, uh, and so I did it. I went and I did an open mic and I loved it. 
and I just didn't stop. I did it. At first, I was like, oh, I'll just do this like once a week as a hobby. And then within three weeks, I was doing it every day, multiple times a day. And just, you know, you, you, you can't really keep me away from it. So do you remember if, do you remember like if there was a specific joke that, that like hooked you into it? Like, you know, you get that first laugh and it's almost like that's the, that's, that's my reverse nine eleven. Like that's, you know, I, I won't forget that, <laughs> but in a good way. <laughs> You're November 9th. Um, <laughs> Uh, I probably, what was the joke that, you know, here's, here's a joke that used to get consistent laughs. It was, I was talking about really bougie, uh, friends of mine here who like are into food culture. This is one of my first jokes and a friend of mine being like, Hey, I want to, I want to go out and get some Yemeni food. It's like, how does that sound? I was like, that sounds terrible. I was like, why? You don't like Yemeni food? I was like, no, I don't like UN rations. And that used to get a huge laugh. That was like one of the first big laughs I would get. Um, and that that was, I'd say, one, you know. There's some other ones, too, that I just am too embarrassed to even bring up now, but did get laughs. Um, but, yeah, that, that was, I, that, I, I, I used that joke for probably my first two years of doing comedy. Mm. It was definitely in my set somewhere. Do you remember what it was like when you wrote something like that and then you kept getting those laughs and then it's like, like, am I ever going to be able to write something that funny again? Um, I don't, honestly, I don't think I ever had that thought Whatever. I, I just felt like on such a good, I mean, there's jokes that I have, which I love and, and I know God, I love this joke so much. This joke is amazing. And it's just my fucking, it's my new girlfriend for like three weeks, you know, and I'll go out and I'm taking it out and it's brand new and it's just killing everywhere. But I know that that feeling is going to fade and that something else is going to come and take its place. I think probably at the beginning, I would just be very excited and then I would just be very dismayed once the joke lost its luster to me. And then it, when, it, when that happens, you know, if you, unless you train yourself properly, it starts losing, losing the kind of judge in front of the audience. But I don't think I ever felt like, oh, I'm not going to write a joke that's that funny again, right? I think the jokes just get different and you just keep growing but i don't think that was ever a big big fear for me what do you mean when been. you say uh, like train yourself properly as far as you know a joke losing its luster uh i don't know i th- i feel like once you once you have a joke and it's a great joke let's say and you you take it out and you use it a lot and you can rely on it uh to get laughs i think after a while like there's jokes that are gr- I are very good jokes, you know, they're, and I, they're very funny and I like them, but I'm just sick of them. I'm sick of hearing them come out of my mouth and it's boring, but you know, and when you get that feeling, if you're not careful, you know, you're not really able to, it's this, this fun, the spontaneous energy of delivering a joke isn't there. And then the audience isn't really with it either. Right. They can sense it. And so that's why I think like there's a definite discipline to, you have to be, get used to And like any, if you're in a band, right. You have to go out and sing the same fucking, you have to go sing sweet Caroline for the 9,000th time. You're not going to be like sweet Caroline, whatever. Right. You have to like, be there you have to feel it you have to feel like you're in the moment when you thought of the joke and kind of be part of the audience in that way so 
<laughs> I just I love the idea of just a somber, sweet Caroline. Yeah, yeah. Like you know how they the Jimmy, the Johnny Cash. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, no, let's update it. You know, wet ass pussy. You know, yeah. there's a whore in this house. There's a whore in this house. You know, you second that. But yeah, there's you know, that that trend of um, of repurposing like upbeat songs into movie trailers where like shit's going to hell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like sung by a children's choir or something. Like there's yeah. a whore in this house. There's a whore in this house. Coming soon, yeah. Um, so, some of the mistakes that you made on the, on the way um, between you know starting comedy and where you are now—is there anything that you can point at where, if you were to talk to a new comic and say, you know, learn from what I did wrong, don't do this thing? What would that thing be? Uh, that's a, that's a good question. It's not it's not a good question because I don't have those because I definitely do. But uh, I think the biggest thing is like it's this is work too it is a job and so like like what i was saying before about i'm bored of that joke i'm just gonna do new joke that hasn't been tested as much is like there's a certain kind of arrogance that can creep up and allow you to do that kind of thing whereas sometimes if you have to go and do a set uh you know, it's like, it's easy to get sick of material that works and to not ever want to do it again. But I don't, I mean, at least where I'm at in my career and most people are, it's like, you still can't afford to just be like, well, I refuse to do that joke anymore. I'm done with that. I've passed that phase of my career or whatever. And like, I don't know, to me, it's a job and that you have to be used to sometimes playing the same tunes again and again and again and not and and not be so not be embarrassed by it or whatever because you just have to do it right and so it's taking it taking it treating it like a job and that means giving it your all for every set pretty much so whether you're doing old or new or whatever but that's kind of the basic ethic of what i'm saying it's easy to forget that also don't drink don't drink before um, for me don't drink before going on stage and don't be drunk and get on stage there are definitely a few times where I'd had a couple, maybe like literally one drink more than I should have. And I wasn't like sloppy or an idiot, but I just wasn't as sharp as I should have been. And I definitely learned from that. So that's, I think substances is for sure something. Yeah. It's harder to, to make those spontaneous connections when, when all your synapses aren't firing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I quit that's... drinking too. And it really made things way better. That was around like 2016. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'd done maybe two or three open mics where I had had too much and that was all I needed to, to realize that, Oh, I can't like, that's you're, you're giving yourself an uphill battle to fight. You already have enough yeah. fun, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's not even fun. It's, you know, you think it might be fun or something, but it's just not, it's, and it's shit. It's not fun for anybody. Mm-mm. So. Right. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Cause I, I remember the one, it was like, I forgot what I was going to do next because they didn't laugh at the joke that I delivered. Cause I, I did it out of order. Like the, right. word, the word choice was wrong. And it was like, well, I guess this, that's my time. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So let's, uh, let's dive into today's topic. Mm-hmm. Um, today's topic, we are going to prove that you can, laugh at uh, at stereotypes and today's stereotype today's stereotype is brought to you by indians are good at spelling (laughs) 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 
Uh, I think it's funny, first of all, that, that it's just like a stereotype that you're you're good at it. it it's like normally stereotypes have a negative connotation. How is that? How, you know, how is that like a stereotype? I don't know. Describe like, what, how would you define stereotype? Because obviously there's a positive connotation to it in some cases and other cases there's a negative connotation. I mean, how would I define a stereotype in general? Yeah. Um, just like a commonly held trope about a particular group of people, right? Just a broad sweeping generalization about a group of people would be a stereotype. What is there? Um, do you have any other like material that, that kind of pokes holes in that, uh, that perspective on things? Um, yeah, probably a lot, actually. Uh, I, I think I... I think there's definitely, I'm not, I'm actually thinking of trying to look into my notes right now. Um, but yeah, I think in general, I do, I do play with a lot of stereotypes. Yeah, for sure. Definitely around like Indians, Indian Americans, uh, stuff like that, for sure. Have you like, what, what sort of ex experiences have you had personally with, you know, with people that have those sweeping generalizations. Uh, I mean, you're, you're Indian American. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, do you run into people confusing you for something else? Do you run into, you know, do people do the, the, you know, go with a spelling bee or like, you know, do you run into um, that? Well, a lot of people will just randomly assume that I work in tech. <laughs> okay. That's like literally one of them, and that'll even be from other Indians, you know. I'll just be like, "Shit, man! Like, get a grip," you know. Um, that's one. One time, a woman was like, "Hey, what are you?" Um, and I was like, "Oh, I'm Indian." She's like, "Oh, Indian." I was like, well, "You're so good looking. I never would have guessed Indian." I was like, "Bitch." She was like, "I would have guessed Latino," and I was so pissed. I was like, "How dare!" She said, I look like a Latino. I was like, that bitch. No. Um, but I was like, I was like, fuck, that was kind of harsh, but I guess I'll let you blow me. Um, but I will be wagging my finger at you while you do it. And I will not be eating any celery before that blowjob. This is a callback for the listeners to an earlier conversation we had about celery giving you strong semen. <laughs> That's a that's a previously on. You, you can't laugh at that. Punchy um, come. <laughs> now being in New York, obviously, uh, you know people are are. There's a just a giant spectrum of people from all different all different walks of life, which is, I mean, that was one of my favorite parts about being in the city. Is is it really? Because I mean, I came I came from a pretty sheltered, uh, you know, suburban neighborhood and then just just diving into new york i loved it um i lived in flatbush in brooklyn and all kinds of you know different cultures that i had never experienced in suburban akron ohio so uh did you did you ever experience like anything as a kid uh, growing up in pennsylvania where you know there was obvi an obvious lack of understanding um you know it was weird because i was for the majority of my week growing up as a kid, Monday through Friday, I was probably the only Indian or maybe one of only a couple Indians around. Uh, but at the same time, I had like a big brother who um, was like kind of a badass. And so I didn't have to deal with the normal kinds of bullying that might have happened 
to uh, an Indian kid who's just there alone being Indian or whatever. Because uh, everybody feared and loved and respected my brother. He was like an athlete. He was strong. He was good looking. He was vice, you know, class president and all that kind of thing. He was a really good athlete. Um, and so I think I had it easy in that way. I didn't really, I didn't really face anything until after 9-11, actually. That was, that was when things started to get a little bit dicey where I grew up in PA. And I remember um, coming home from like college or whatever. And like, it was like 2003. This is in Ohio. You guys are in Ohio. Uh, This is in, in central PA. And the Iraq war is just getting started or it's been, it's been in swing for maybe a year or something. And I go to a, uh, to a bar with two other Indian friends of mine, a brother and a sister. And we go to like shoot pool and drink. And we're in this pool room. There's two tables. It's not very crowded. It's me. And then at the other one, there's these three people. It's a guy dressed in camo, some guy who looks like Santa Claus, but like a mm-hmm. meth. And then some really weird, like Betty homemaker looking chick or like whatever. And these guys, you know, there's Bon Jovi or something comes on, which who the fuck likes Bon Jovi? Not me. <laughs> and this guy's like, oh, Bon Jovi. Like, this sucks. He's like, Al-Qaeda play Bon Jovi. Is that Al-Qaeda? And this guy keeps going on about Al-Qaeda. It's like, hey, Al-Qaeda, did you guys play Bon Jovi? And I was like, I got pissed. And I was a big and aggressive, strong guy at the time. And I fucking yelled at the guy. I was like, fuck you. It's like, shut the fuck up. Or I'm going to come over there and blah, 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 blah. And he shut up. And about six minutes after that, I'm there playing pool with my friends. And this guy comes up with a pitcher of beer. He's like, hey, man. Hey, hey, Al-Qaeda. You know, it's cool, man. It's like, uh, <laughs> he's still calling me Al-Qaeda. Yeah. It's like, hey, man. I said, I really respect that you stood up for yourself, man. I really respect that. That's cool. He's like, listen, I just want to let you know. He's like, I'm a white supremacist. I'm like, what? This guy's thinking that that we're going to relate to each other. Like, he didn't let go of the idea that I'm an extremist. He, to the contrary, he's like, well, let me connect with you. It's like, I'm an extremist too, you know? And I was like, this is fucking nuts. And then this guy just keeps going and I'm like, you're you're a fucking moron. Then the, the old guy comes up He's like, I'm sorry about my son. I don't know what happened to him. What went wrong with him? Then this other lady comes up and, you know, now my two friends are also talking with them and, and the, the late, the like housemaker woman, homemaker women is talking to my friends. It turns out they know people in common, Indian people. And like, we're like, what the fuck is going on here? But that is probably the most significant um like racial racially charged incident that I've ever had growing up in Pennsylvania was uh, was was yeah you know uh, uh, commiserating with a with a neo Nazi. I, I like that he just came up to you. It was like, hey, me too, man. Yeah, <laughs> 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 that's, that's funny. Have you ever have you ever talked about that on stage? I haven't really because I, you know the structure of it is. You know, I don't know. I think maybe being in New York, it forces you to be like a real laughs per minute kind of yeah, comic. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I maybe I, I thought it, I think at the, when I first started, I thought that would be a great thing to do, but it would always take me too long to get there. And I just, I haven't really put a lot of thought into it as a joke. Um, so I probably have to have to think about the atmospherics of it and all that stuff and how I could punch it up and, 
make it compelling, but it is a good story. And it's, it's like very, you know, so I, I mean, come to think of it, maybe, maybe I will, I will start thinking about bring, bringing that into the mix somehow. I just, I just love the attempt to relate. Like there's, even though what he's saying, there's obviously, you know, he goes home and there's a lot of malice there. Like in the moment he was like, dude, what if I can solve, like, <laughs> I can, I can be the representative. Like, this is, this is my duty. He was as trying to solve racism in his own yeah. weird way. His yeah. own special way. You yeah. Know? It was a yeah. very roadhousey uh, experience too. <laughs> it's just kind of like, wasn't here, boy. <laughs> it's so backwards. Backwards. Exactly. Yeah, they need to bring in Patrick Swayze for more episodes of Bar Rescue. Yeah. <laughs> <'Cause that's>, <laughs> <laughs> was the original <laughs> Bar Rescue. <laughs> the ghost of Patrick Swayze. <laughs> right, right. Oh my God. I mean, bon they already. <laughs> there you go Bon Jovi was playing too the ghost of Patrick Swayze is going to play the ghost of Patrick Swayze's character in Ghost, <laughs> ghost. <laughs> it has to be his character from Ghost sadly yeah, exactly. I don't remember any of his characters names just Patrick Swayze he's just Patrick Swayze that's how good he was you yeah know? right he transcended the character <laughs> his name was Dalton it was Dalton Okay. <laughs> Name was Dalton in Roadhouse. <laughs> Great movie. Yeah. Yeah. We used to, I used to work at a restaurant where they'd, uh, they'd play like old VHSs and every Sunday they'd put on three Swayze movies and Roadhouse was always the first one. The Sunday Swayze's. Yep. Before it was ever the Sunday Scary. Yeah. The Sunday Swayze's. Yeah. When it was a simpler time. <laughs> a simpler time. Now, the, the thing that I like about that story, too, is like, it's very evident the disconnect. I mean, obviously, education and, and having experience with people who aren't like you is invaluable you know people grow leaps and bounds when they're open when they open their minds to information to uh, other people's perspectives and uh, the reason most stereotypes exist is because it's easier to just be like oh that guy al-qaeda and like that's it brain doesn't have to do any extra work uh but it's it's when people start acting on those that that's where the the, the trouble comes um, right but it's good that you know it didn't come to that now, in this case, you know, the, the stereotype that, uh, that that Indians are good at spelling. I mean, it exists for obvious reasons. I mean, over the last, what, like 20 years, uh, let's see, the, the eight-way tie that you talk about in your bit, which we'll get to in a second, uh, there was, there was the, the one white girl. And then, uh, let's the see. One white girl. <laughs> the one white girl, the token. Uh, in 2007, Evan O'Dorney, and 2006, Carrie Close. But other than that, between uh, 2002 and 2019, it's been all South Asian winners. Yeah. And if you go back to like some of the, the winning words from the original spelling bees, they're really easy words. <laughs> Invulnerable, 1932. Wow. The, torsion, 1933. Intelligible, 1935. Eczema in 1936. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's and then you you get to today, and I, I can't even like I don't know what any of these words are. There's no way they're spelled phonetically in some of these cases. So, um, yeah, it, you you've you've raised raised the game when it comes to uh, 
and they had they had no choice but to make the words harder, you mm-hmm. know, because of the Indians. So, but before you you give away the punchline of uh, of your bit, uh, let's introduce the clip and then sure. uh, and then we'll play it and prove uh, through Pranav that yeah you can laugh at this stereotype. <laughs> Got any sports fans in the audience? Yeah. yeah. Right, cool. Cool. So you guys saw the big uh, spelling bee then last week, right? Yeah. ESPN 11. Oh my God, that was lit, huh? That shit was intense. Wow. Look, there was uh, for all the non-jocks in here. There was a big spelling bee last week. Scripps National Spelling Bee. There was an eight-way tie in the spelling bee. Okay. Eight-way tie was uh, seven Indian kids and one white girl. Okay. When they got together after for the winner's photo, it looked like she was there to save the children. You know what I'm so good luck. Very good luck. Seven Indians. Holy shit. A friend of mine asked me, I'm Indian. He was like, Pranav, why do Indians always win the spelling bee? And I was like, did you read their fucking names? <laughs> Every day of their life is a spelling bee. Okay? There's no better training than having an Indian name in America. Going to the actual spelling bee, that's just them taking the ankle weights off and dancing. You know? it's, it's nothing to them. <laughs> I think it's audacious though, you know? To have like a, just like a white guy with like a monosyllabic name trying to quiz these kids on spelling, you know what I'm saying? That's audacious. Oh, you want me to spell dromedary? How about you spell my last name? Uh, language of origin, the seven train. <laughs> well, inside. Baseball New York reference there. Uh, yeah, now that now that tag is actually uh, language of origin New Jersey. Uh, shortly after that, you know, you can never really get a good clip um, of a thing because your jokes are always changing. But, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that, so, that's the bit. Yeah. What uh, What struck you as funny? What What inspired the uh, the conception of that bit? Uh, well, you know, there was of course just the news. And then people are talking about the news and, you know, because there was the, the big thing about it is that there were seven Indian kids who were tied for it. Right. And so everyone's talking about that. And so everyone's asking about why Indians win them. And then, you know, for me, the obvious thing was just like, well, a lot of Indians have very long and complicated names, right? Especially like South Indians. Mm-hmm. And so that was the immediate joke. But for me, my favorite joke in that is the one about um, there being one white girl who looks like she's there to save the children. To me, that's the one I prefer. And that's another stereotype, which I thought was maybe more fun to play around with. Um so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I I grew I I won a spelling bee when I was a kid. So, and I, I never understood why spelling, my parents didn't enroll me in the spelling bee or any of that shit either. It was just like a random school spelling bee that I won and I was a horrible student. So that was the only spelling bee I'd ever, or, or the only thing that my parents were like, oh, you are not retarded. That's amazing. Like, great. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it was just playing on, on two specific 
stereotypes, actually. One, that Indians uh, are in the spelling bee a lot. And then two, um, that we have fucking weird names, right? Or difficult names in the culture. And so it's obviously very counterproductive to think that you, it's not hard to spell your own name, obviously, right? But I thought that was a fun concept to play around with that it somehow would be, right? So in a weird way, places them both in and outside of their own Indianness. And then, uh, and then turning it on the uh, the white uh, the host the announcer and you know the right. syllabic name <laughs> right 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 exactly yeah it's 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 too it's too easy uh, for for them so yeah they they shouldn't be in charge of the spelling bees anymore the right <laughs> it should be our moms you know our Indian moms who named us. And that's a that's a stereotype that I saw in a lot of uh, the the bits that I was you know looking kind of through like what other comics have joked about this and and it's always you know the the parent you know the the disapproving father you know right um, yeah the uh, you know white girl gets eliminated and in our house we say you know the twenty third place is better than twenty fourth place whereas right 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 you know you get second place and it's like. Yeah, <laughs> well, you were doing the key. okay. You were doing the Indian head bobble very well. Of this, was that what that was? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know if that was intentional or not, no. but I was like, "Hey, that's pretty good." No, <laughs> I wasn't, but thank you. I'll, I'll make sure to write a joke for that. Um, <laughs> it's gonna no. kill. I can tell yeah. you <laughs> uh, that's exactly what people want to hear: uh, a white dude <laughs> talking about brown people. And yeah. yeah. Uh, so your bit, it's very structurally sound. Like it, the ebbs and flows are are great. You know, you open with the the sports fans spelling bee, kind of the the twist on that punchline, and then you set up the bit really well. Uh, you use words like intense and lit, just to kind of introduce the uh, the incongruity between spelling bee and and uh-huh. you know the sport. Um, have you do- have you dove any deeper into that that um, I don't want to use the word incongruity twice uh, <laughs> into that, the conflicting uh, story there between sports and, and spelling bee. Not really because in order to do that setup on that joke, that was very recent to the actual event itself. You know, now it's two years later, actually, or it's going to be two years later. So I can't say, yo, you heard about the spelling bee. You guys into sports? <laughs> now I figured out ways of restructuring it in terms of like who here was, a, was, a, was an athlete in high school. Right. And they're like, oh, baseball. I was like, oh, yeah, I was, I was a huge athlete spelling bee. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I almost went all state, but, uh, you know, I decided to go into quiz bowl instead. Right. It's like, it's a, I just try to work with that. I think, I don't think it's, um, the kind of misdirect of it isn't as strong as it was back then, you know, but it works well enough. It's serviceable to get me where I need to go with the joke. Um, but I don't, it's not integral to the joke. So it's not something that I, that I, uh, stress about too much. And as I asked that question, I, I realized that, you know, sometimes when I'm putting a new bit together, I tend to get a little bit long winded on what the joke isn't about. Uh, so that when we get to like, what's actually funny, it's lost its luster. Um, 
So like, as I was, as you were explaining, I was like, oh yeah, that, no, that would totally take away from the, the hit of the, uh, the seven Indian kids, one white girl. Yeah. 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 I love that you play on the, uh, the, the white savior uh, trope too. Um, I was actually listening to, I don't know if you have ever listened to this podcast called hot breath. It's a, uh, it's a comedy podcast and uh, Roy Wood Jr. was on and he was talking about how he's like trying to work on a bit um, about how every, um, every movie about like black excellence, there has to be a white person who either is like not necessarily the savior uh, overtly like green book or, um, or like, you know, uh, what's the, the football one blindside. Uh, with with Sandra Bullock, but uh, there ha- also has to be a white savior in a sense that there needs to be a character there that's so terrible uh, for you know those the the you know whether it's black or or, or Indian or Hispanic whatever uh, to overcome mm-hmm. so that they they there's that like juxtaposition even in that case. Um, so I like any unique way of looking at the white savior and, and in the spelling bee, that's such a fun place for it. <laughs> it's so like the stakes are so low, you know, that mm-hmm. anybody can laugh about it. It's not like a, well, you can't say that. Right. 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 Yeah. It's not, I don't think it's a terribly like controversial joke. And if I had had some uh, other tapes that had some edgier material, that would have been better, but I think it definitely works for the kind of subject of stereotypes. And look, the thing, the fact is, is that, you could not make that joke as a white guy, right? Coming from you, people would not allow that. They wouldn't like it. Um, and Because it's not your community and it's your inability to say my name or to spell my name isn't, as, or, or difficulty spelling it is not as, uh, I don't want to say it's necessarily not as funny, but it's not as earned. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, I, th- I think that's kind of the issue there with, with, you know, who can make a joke like that and who can't, I don't think it's a terror. It's not a very edgy joke at all. Um, it's funny, but again, I, when I think about, okay, you know, how would I feel if fucking, I don't, you know, who's a, who's a comic we can just name. It's Chris D'Elia made that joke and be like shut the fuck up you fucking pedophile you know like I was trying to think of a comic that I just don't think is funny and he happens to be one um all right uh, like is that John Mulaney because yeah because like if John Mulaney then I'd be like that's good job Mulaney good job buddy or whatever because I think he's funny but um yeah I mean it's 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 a joke that you know it's best told by an Indian Right. Uh, and luckily it was. So, yeah. So here we are. Yeah. But I mean, having said that, I make a lot of shitty stereotype jokes as an, as about non-Indian groups, you know? So it's like, I have a really bad joke that I was doing for a while and it would get laughs. Sometimes it would get huge laughs. And then sometimes just because of the subject matter, people wouldn't like it. It was about a time when I saw a deaf family in the airport and they were looked lost and, you know, they were signing to each other really frantically. And I thought, oh, let me help this deaf family. And then as I got closer to them, I realized, oh, they're not deaf. They're just Italian. <laughs> uh, and then I, I knew they were Italian because the mom uh, had a black eye. 
Yeah. So that was, <laughs> yeah, some cold ZD. But people, it's like, that's a fucked up joke to make. You know, Italian or, or Indian, Italian, whoever you are, that's not a good, it's not a nice assessment of Italian American people. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not really my joke to make that. Now, on the other hand, if an Italian American guy made that joke, that might seem kind of dark and menacing. Like, bro, you're talking about your mom getting beat up like that and laughing. That's fucked up. <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't know why people let me get away with telling it when I when they did. Um, I think it really more the domestic abuse aspect of it is kind of what was unsavory to people. So mm-hmm. more than the Italian part, which says something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you introduced that extra layer that. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, we'll, we'll, we'll go with the, the hand thing. The hand uh, gesture thing. They were okay. But when it yeah. became the real hand Italian yeah. hand gesture, they weren't so into it, you know? Yeah. What do you yeah. know what an Italian says on nine 11? Never forget about it. love that crossover (laughs) just fly in with another one of those good work Uh, so um yeah the the ankle weights line i mean you know the the spelling bee being easy to them that's a you know that's a framing you give the, the reason why you answer the question without straight up just saying, you know, why are Indians so good at being in the spelling bee? It's because our names are so yeah. long. Like, right. Yeah. yeah. Which you, is what the title is, but that's what YouTube and social media demands uh, right. with, with clips and so on. But yeah. Right. I used to, I used to be like, I need to come up with a clever title for it. And it's like, no, literally just say what it is. Say yeah. What yeah. It is. Just pure SEO. Yeah. Yeah. Comedian jokes about, yeah, that's it. Right. I was uh, reading about stereotypes and uh, uh, positive stereotypes. The problem with positive stereotypes is they put pressure on people to live up to the positive stereotypes. That that way they become inadvertently negative stereotypes Mm -hmm. in in a sense too. So I think that's, that was what I wanted to say earlier, but yeah. So that's an interesting take. Uh, It's a good point. It's like a sociological thing. It's, it's like, it's observed uh, and I've read it in some whatever. Did you, did you like run into that at all? Um, as far as, I mean, I was not like most, I mean, doing comedy. No, that's not necessarily, but like growing up, it was like, you know, the other stereotypes about Indians really good at math, really good students. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was not, I was not a good student growing up. So a lot of people were like, you know, giving me a weird side eye and, and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, I think that's maybe as part of it is that pressure. I think the other part of it is just like anybody, it's very, any, any human being wants to be seen as unique and wants to be seen as a human being in their own right. And, and uh, you know, themselves and not not can not not circumscribed by these attributes that other people are are putting or imposing on them socially or whatever. So anytime you do that, it's gonna feel shitty. Even if you even if you go up to an Indian guy who's an IT guy and not knowing him and him not knowing you and being like you work in IT, huh? You, you know, even if he does work in IT, he's probably just gonna be like, fuck you, you know, how do you know I'm not a pimp? You know, and you know, I'm not running whores or something like that, right? (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I think the expectation thing is definitely part of it. 
I think there's just a human instinct that we all have about mm-hmm. um, about wanting to just be taken taken on our own on our own terms, case by case. We're all born different. We're all wired differently, and we all have different life experiences. And it's the you know the combination of nature and nurture, and uh, just kind of limiting it to you know what race are you? It, it's lazy. Um, number one. And it and it stops you from really getting to know the actual person behind it, which uh, you know that's 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 where a lot of problems lie uh, on a societal scale. It's like, oh, this person is this. Well, that means you know that if that, then what else? And that's based right. off of your own personal experience. Yeah, totally. Um, Even on a genetic standpoint, uh, if we're talking about like different cultures and different races of people, there is actually no, there aren't rigid boundaries to that. So it's like when you're constantly giving, you know, labels to people, it's just an extremely lazy way to look at the world. You know, it's like one of those things. There's, there's no place where one race begins and another race. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, yeah, it's just, it's, really, it's just very easy, a very easy and simplistic way of, of making the world more, um, kind of apprehensible, I guess, or comprehensible. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, Easy. And, and now it's done in a way, like at one point in time, it was done in a way where it's like, Oh, if you're Indian, well then that means because of your race, this is why you do what you do. So now that that has been shifted to because of your culture, this is why you do what you do. And Mm. then that that's where like the, 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 um, the, the, racial tension comes into play it's like it's almost like a cheat code for them to right to simplify something that's very complex for sure for sure yeah Um, but it's still a step forward and in a better direction in a way because even then as you start to break that down then okay then what are you actually gonna you're gonna get further and further away from bigotry and more and more into rational explanations for why different people behave differently and mm -hmm. and so on so yeah yeah i mean it's just we're going from dumber to smarter that's like our basic trend so you just got to kind of accept the dumbness sometimes or, or acknowledge that it's, that it's dumbness and just keep it moving. Do we need the, do we need the dumbness in order to, uh, to point us in the right direction? I, I think so. I mean, it's like, how else do you, I mean, who's born with all the answers, right? It's like, you know, if I'm crawling, you don't look at a baby and you're like, look at that fucking idiot baby. He's never heard of walking. <laughs> fucking dumb fuck. Somebody smack his mom. Like, no, mm-hmm. it's just a baby. I mean, so, no. So the, the same, uh, does the same thing like go both ways as far as, you know, somebody who grows up in a very insulated environment who sees, you know, somebody who looks different from them or who believes differently from them. And, you know, uh, so how do we make that connection in a bar with a pitcher of beer? Right. Well, you just got to go up, go in hard and heavy and just, just be like, Hey, I'm a neo-Nazi, you know, like the guy and my experience. And no, I think, um, I mean, look, that was a good example though of a guy who actually from the beginning didn't even want to be like me. That was his only way to connect with human beings though. You know what I mean? Very weird and and 
uh, almost like, you know, pulling on a girl's pigtails when you're in kindergarten because you have a crush on her or something, right? Mm. It was just like the only way he could think of to establish some kind of intimacy with another person, right? Another, uh, or, or break through a social barrier with another person. And that was his unfortunate way of doing it. But it did kind of work. Um, so, yeah. Have you ever uh, have you ever worked with an audience that was of that ilk, or like you know, have you ever done this bit in front of uh, an audience that? I mean, you you so you point out in the bit like you clarify that you are Indian. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously the the, the one chick thought you were uh, Latino, um, but do you uh, you know have you run into an audience that was have you like a more rural audience, a more um, uh yeah definitely yeah. definitely um yeah and like north carolina places yeah. like that you know you run into, it's just you know as a comedian you're inherently funnier than them or you're gonna be so you want to make fun of them and get the rest of the audience laughing at them or at the folly of their ways then you kind of win the room back and you show your competence and then they trust you and then they go with you and they listen to you and then maybe they slowly uh are kind of absorbed into your subjectivity. And then maybe you've changed somebody's mind about something. Not that that's necessarily my goal as a comedian, but that's a possibility. Uh, So, yeah. Mm. Is that like, you know, how do you connect with an audience that's resistant to your, to your stylings? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, then I think if you're just bombing, you have to, at some point just get kind of self-deprecating. Right. And just, mm-hmm. and then see, see where that can kind of take you and get into crowd work a little bit. And, you know, sometimes jokes just don't work. Mm. Well, yeah. But, you know, sometimes you get that. Yeah, you got <laughs> it's a very sad it's, reality. I know. <laughs> All of my jokes that have never worked uh, are flashing before my eyes. <laughs> it's like you go into shows hot sometimes, like, oh, I'm going to fucking kill. And then. <laughs> It's like no, they're wearing they're wearing like comedy Kevlar or something, and yeah. you know they don't necessarily even want to hear jokes. They they want like a more personal, kind of intimate and spontaneous experience, and you have to give them that, and then you can maybe start easing them into jokes, and you know, mm-hmm. yeah. There's a you know there's 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 a, a skill you got to be adaptable instantly. Um, yeah, because. I've walked into a room, saw an audience and thought, oh, they're not going to like any of my stuff. And I have to like, I have to change it now. But then the show starts and it's like, oh, they're actually like, you know, they might like my stuff. (laughs) And uh, I don't know. I'm all about there are some comics who don't watch the comics before them. I feel like that's that's so important. Yeah. Just to kind of get a feel with like meet them where they are, where the audience, I mean, not the other comics. Yeah. Uh, the reason I love doing this show is because everybody has a different perspective of, you know, of comedy, of the art, of the science of it. And, uh, you know, there's no one way to do it. Right. You know, I, I pick up little things from everybody, which is, which is super cool. Um, yeah. I always ask, you know, at the end of, of these recordings, if you have, you know, if you have one tip for a comic that is trying to make a joke about the topic of the episode, and uh, I, that's 
I mean, maybe it'll work for me, but I'm not going to get on stage and be like, these Indians in the spelling bee, am I right? <laughs> Dave, uh, <laughs> D- Dave likes to take notes and then go and be Glenn Beck over there on that board. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whole, whole board, like mad circling, like <laughs> Al-Qaeda, question mark? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, he puts the autism and patriotism. <laughs> 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 love it oh man so uh if somebody wants to play with stereotypes what is the tip i yeah. would give them yeah i mean if it's not your your group if it's not like your cultural group or whatever um you have to figure out a way to to be making fun of yourself then right mm-hmm. like to me that's that's then what actually can be funny about it and, and then also will not land you on the front page of twitter or whatever if that's like your your concern but i think the way to make it funny if it's not your group is to make it about yourself and poke fun at your own perceptions of stereotypes and things like that so mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah whenever anybody asks me like oh how, how can i be funny it's first place to look is what do you think about the thing that makes you angry right punch down on yourself first and, right. and, and then find a way to, to connect that with people. Cause totally true. I mean, everybody can relate to that. Everybody can relate to, you know, having irrational thoughts and, and so if you can connect that, like, you know, what's exactly. a time, what's the time that you thought something about somebody. And then once you got to know that person, it, it you know, turned out Absolutely. to be, your soulmate or something. And everyone can relate to that, even though not everyone wants to admit it. So Mm -hmm. it's a cathartic experience for people to hear that. Mm -hmm. Right. And they can, they can laugh. They will laugh very hard. And, and not even necessarily a a race thing. Like we've all met somebody and thought, Oh, I don't like this person. And then after getting to know them, you know, you, you learn, you have so much in common and, and. Yeah, absolutely. So we can all connect with that. Um, and I think that's an important place to start. There are some cases where uh, people try too hard, not even to be funny, but to, to make a connection without actually reading the situation. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of humor uh, can be found. You know, I, I don't know if you remember a few years ago, a uh, girl won the spelling bee and she went on CNN and it was uh, Cuomo. And then the, what, I, I forget the name of the co-anchor, um, but she had a little, uh, little slip of, not really slip of the tongue, but it, just a miscalculated remark. Um, I have the clip pulled up. I don't know if Jeremy's back or not, um, but if you are Jeremy, yes, good timing. All right. Um, the, uh, the CNN clip. And then we'll we'll bring it home after we we look at this uh, this example and foot in a uh, foot in mouth. Literally like walking back into the room as you were like, I wonder if Jeremy's back. Yeah, <laughs> we were just we actually didn't talk at all once you left. It's been nine minutes and we just sat here waiting. Bless your heart. Kofefe, C O F E F E. Good enough. Close. You win. Um, Thank was- you very much. That's the only good answer we've heard about that. In it, days. It was really C O V F E. We don't know that. F E. <laughs> but it, again, is a nonsense word. So we're not sure that its root is actually in Sanskrit, which is what you're probably uh, used to using. So uh, I don't know. Anyway. Oh my you God. You did a great Why? job. 
It's <laughs> so stupid. I did not expect that. That, was so, that wasn't just dumb. That was like funny and dumb. <laughs> Sanskrit. You know, the language that you're used to. Uh, <laughs> Jeez, right. You know, cuneiform. Is that what you yeah, use? Exactly. <laughs> Hieroglyphics. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so you learned to spell from the Rosetta Stone. Uh, tell us more about that experience. The Code of Hammurabi, one of your favorite uh, texts to read. <laughs> insane. Totally yeah. insane. Oh, man. I mean, I don't, I don't know if we've, I don't know if we've seen that woman ever since. Cause of course, you know how, uh, you know how Twitter goes. It's- oh man. I, I, yeah, I don't know. Did she, did she get canceled off? I mean, she looked so comfortable saying it. Like she looked like she was like on her living room couch and that some little Indian girl showed up and she could just be like, yeah, you know, I, this is like, that reminded me of the time I was over at a, a uh, friend's place and they kept offering me food and I was like, Oh no, I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. And finally the mom was like, would you want some popcorn? I was like, no, I'm okay. She's like, I can put some curry powder on it. Oh, you want me to. I was like, oh, God. Wow. It's like this bitch, this is Adams. Mm-hmm. Uh, said, said in confidence. Uh, let's see. Is she still on? Yeah. She's still anchor of CNN's morning show. New day. Uh, God. Because she's pulling uh, the show down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, she was so confident in that. Like, like she researched she really it. Was, she was, <laughs> she, she was researched and she had like one glass of white wine. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. That's like what it was. It mm-hmm. was like one glass of white wine confidence. Uh, <laughs> and she just went. She was, she was so happy, excited to say that too. Oh, my God. She was excited. That's wild. And then Chris Cuomo very quickly uh, changed the subject. <laughs> yeah. Very, well, first of all, <laughs> artful and subtle Chris Cuomo to the yeah, rescue if again. The, if there's two things that he's known for, it's his <laughs> artistry and his subtlety. <laughs> it runs in the family. <laughs> yeah. Another absurdity there is that they were, they had this girl spell called Fifi, like, that's yeah. back when when Trump tweeted that, and everybody lost their minds. They loved Kafifi. They loved it. They were like, "Let's take this totally innocuous event of this girl winning the spelling bee, and let's let's CNNify it." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's, let's you know, it. once in a while, there was a there was a period of time of the past like year and a half where I would go onto Twitter and uh, I would just post Kafifi. <laughs> I don't remember Code Fifi guys, and then I would always delete it because people are just like, "Shut up, idiot!" Mm-hmm. They think I'm serious. Um, but yeah, that's that's one of those great, uh, not great, totally shitty kinds of Twitter echo things that happened. You know, Code Fifi. Who gives a fuck, really? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, who cares? I mean, it was hilarious that Trump posted that once, but it was just like. Jesus Christ, are we really going to just ride this thing over the cliff like this and just talk about Kofi Fee nonstop? Like, mm. yeah, absolutely. But, that's that's Twitter. That's hey Twitter. guys, it sounds like coffee. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like coffee. Now I'm going to write a bunch of jokes about that. Yeah, I love I love that she tied it to Sanskrit. She was like, ooh. Like, here's the connection I'm going to make. It was almost woke in a way. I was like, okay, okay. She knows about Indic history. All right, mm-hmm. nice. But no, I'm wrong. <laughs> dumb bitch, dumb bitch alert. 
but like like the only words that that she studied or <laughs> were from uh <laughs> that's how she won the spelling bee was the right. sanskrit angle she's yeah. like she's a spelling bee sanskritist like mm-hmm. what no yeah it's just funny how she was trying to like prove that she knows things about other cultures and then she just fucks it up um, yeah it, it was like a perfect suburban house mom or housewife yeah. moment you know yeah, it was way. definitely she definitely was offering to put curry on the popcorn right there yeah exactly she, it was a total <laughs> curry on the popcorn moment it's like innocence in its way but just so so dumb right. that it's like uh if if you could attach a let a stand-up comedy lesson to that clip <laughs> if that were a comic who who, mm-hmm. who did it, a joke like that? What what lesson would you uh, would you take from that? The lesson is a uh, quit. Definitely, that's what you do. you're like. This yeah. is not for you. Okay. This is not for you. Comedy's all about self awareness. At least building it if you don't have it to begin with. Yeah, I mean, good comedy is for sure. You know, yeah. that's the thing. Is like if yeah, you know, I mean, you got to be. This is a thinking man's thing, right? You have to be like kind of smart. I remember one time there was a comic, uh, and this is like pretty early, and she went up and just did like a bunch of racist jokes about Indians. Um, she didn't do great. And she got off and she looked at me and she was like, she was like we're good, right? She's like, you, you weren't offended by that. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I. I was like, no, uh, you know what I said to her? I was, like, I was like, no, you know, stupid people need to laugh too. And then I just walked away from her. And I, I was like, that's kind of the way I feel about comedy. I was like, dumbasses need to laugh too, I guess. You know, yeah. I was like, that's kind of who that appeals to. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I saw a question posed like, why, why, why don't we see a ton of conservative comedians? And it's like, by, by, Comedy's nature, you have to be open to change and open to, you know, receptive to the changing sensibilities around you. So conservative comics don't, I mean, they exist, but they're not as prominent because what do they want? If conservative by definition is a maintaining of the status quo. Yeah, it's it's, a very rigid mindset for sure. Mm-hmm. It's not conducive to like a big city coastal type of thing, even though that's kind of brings to mind ideas of like coastal elitism and stuff, which I don't, that's obviously a lot more complex than that. But, right. but then you've got these comics that are conservative that, that do the inner, the, the middle America circuit and do well because those people are cut off from the rest of the world and they're just not, mm-hmm. they're not in tune with those sorts of things. And just, I don't know. So Yeah, no, that's, I think I agree with that as well. I mean, I don't like, write off people from not from New York or, or like less sophisticated. And I don't definitely don't think they're dumb just because you're less exposed. Right. But I think like being proud of being less exposed or Mm. being proud of being uh, dumb, which has tended to be how like the Republican party has kind of marketed themselves over the past 15, 20 years as like that's kind of been the issue. It's like being dumb is something to be taken as a point of pride. Like, oh no, we don't need to know about anybody, anything else, or anywhere else, or mm-hmm. and that's like, all right, now come on, man. It's going to destroy our country. <laughs> it's like literally, gonna, yeah, exactly, exactly. No standards so, for education. That's yeah, awful. And, and the standard is like the dumber the better. Like right. that's kind of what the standard is. So. And being dumb is cool in a lot of places in a lot of pockets. Absolutely. 
I have some big pockets. Big <laughs> pockets. Big, big, when it comes to pockets, this country is a pair of cargo pants. Yeah, yeah. Pockets. <laughs> Dumb pockets, but yeah. We both raced for a pants joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amb- ambiguity is, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty in it, and, and that's scary to a lot of people. And so uh, I, I vote to amend tragedy plus time equals comedy and introduce some uh, some more variables and parentheses and 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 exponents and things like that. I mean, <laughs> you know, going back to your point, um, it's you know, there's more to it than just tragedy and time. There's intent. There's uh, what, what did you say? You said um, intent. It's like um, what perspective you're speaking from. Yeah, on yeah the thing, I think it's like. Um, I think that's that's the biggest one, if you ask me. Let's close it out. Um, if you could give advice to somebody who is telling a joke about a stereotype that is about them, we already covered if it's about someone else. Um, you know, so if you're poking fun at a stereotype about you, what piece of advice would you give that comic? Do an accent. Most uh, <laughs> common on now. Um, what? I, I, I mean, you can't just head. leave it. Yeah, you can't, don't, don't just leave it at the stereotype about you. I think you have to try and play with it a little bit more and try and flip it even more um, so that the audience also becomes a little bit complicit. And yeah, don't be like malicious about yourself or about where you're coming from because that's just not, that's not very interesting comedy or fun, funny, even very funny comedy. It's very lowest common denominator. Just play into a stereotype. As opposed to, you got to make it dance a little bit, I guess is the way I would describe that. So yeah, that's my advice. And it's, it's good advice. We appreciate you uh, joining to uh, to share your perspective. Super good time. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, but let's just get the plugs out of the way so people know who you are. Uh, social media, where can we find you? And is there anything coming up that uh, that our listeners should check out? Uh, you hit me up on Instagram, primarily at Pranahaha. Um, and where are you going to find me? Fuck. Nowhere, you know? Yeah, here. I mean, but other than that, probably some little shows around, around the city, but nothing, nothing huge coming up. Yeah. I I must not, I must not be grinding enough, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're not doing four virtual mics a night. (laughs) You be I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna do I'm gonna do some nursing homes soon in New York. <laughs> yeah, call Cuomo. He's, I hear he's got an in. <laughs> That's gonna be his PR masterstroke: is getting me in those nursing homes and really lift the spirits. Yeah, it's like, of the dead. literally raising the spirits of the dead. <laughs> mm. We squeezed the juice out of that topic. We did. We got into it. We it's did, we it's did. it's a challenge that I enjoy uh, giving myself and, and giving you know our guests and, and co-hosts. It's like how can we how far can we take this one topic something as as specific as this one stereotype? Because uh, because no matter if it's a sweeping generalization or a more specific stereotype, and not living up to some of the imposed stereotypes that that society gives. There's always a way to laugh at that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we sucked all the marrow out of this. And, yep. <laughs> and there's, it's dust. It's pure dust now. It's Kofifi, whatever that is. <laughs> it's pure Kofifi. Let's bring right. it back. <laughs> I miss so we're it. We're bringing it back. We're bringing it back. <laughs> 
Special thanks to Gold Knox Studio. You can find Golden Ox Studio for all your podcasting needs at goldenoxstudio.com. Hit up Jeremy. He is fantastic to work with, professional. Uh, He makes podcasting easy. And uh, if if you've been kicking the tires on starting your own podcast, definitely give Golden Ox Studio a look. If you'd like to weigh in on today's topic, follow us on Twitter at YouCan'tLaughPod. Or like us on Facebook if you can't laugh at that and tell us how you did laugh at today's topic or how you didn't. This is all about the conversation, is what I'm saying. All right. Bye.